How you doing out there tonight? Amen. Well, you look good, and that's even with the lights on, so. Tonight, Julius is going to bring us the word, and I want you to let him know you appreciate him as he comes. It made him sing and preach. Can You think you can sweep up when you're done, too? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, this evening, Lord, we do thank you for the word. Lord, we ask that the word would open our hearts and our souls, Lord. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to us through the word that's brought forth. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, the message tonight is on scheduled events. Very interesting because when Candy called me um, this morning to ask for the title, I was thinking about it because I've had the title for weeks, but it's, I really, it, I'm really tur- churning with it because while the events may be unscheduled for us, for God, they're not unscheduled. So, you know, our events might be unscheduled, but God has these things planned. You know, the word tells us that though man has a path, God directs our steps. And when we think about it, steps are shorter intervals. Like, you know, if I was going outside to my truck in the parking lot, well, for me, that's a journey because I'm not one of them people that exercise and run and stuff. But, <laughs> but the word specifically tells us that God directs our steps. So that's each increment. You know, he's not just concerned about our journey. He's concerned about each step. You know, one of the examples that I'm going to use tonight is Joseph. Joseph had a dream when he was a young man, and he told his family about it. He said that one day, you know, the whole family would bow before him, basically. And the family was upset. Now, Joseph saw the journey, even though he didn't even see the magnitude of who was going to bow before him, because it was not only his family, but at that time, it was pretty much everyone in the known world. But the steps. Now, there were several steps. First of all, his brothers threw him into a well. Now, of course, you know, Joseph might have thought that this is unfortunate. (laughs) But it was part of the journey. Because, you know, some of the brothers said, oh, let's kill him. And then one of the brothers, you know, these are good Jewish boys. Why should we kill him? Why don't we sell him? So, <laughs> so they sold him into slavery, okay? And then in that slavery, he ended up in the land of Egypt, okay? In each of those steps. And as he worked through different assignments, he ended up in Potiphar's house. And because he was diligent and faithful, Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his house, you know, and... You know, I'm sure for Joseph at that time, he was thinking, wow, this is good. You know, even though I'm a slave, I'm actually the head slave. I pretty much run the house and kind of it's kind of like being a boss. I mean, you're still a slave, but, you know, (laughs) you get to run the house. But what happened was Potiphar's wife, you know, kind of lusted after Joseph. And she went after him, even though he ran (laughs) 
she accused him of mocking her and, you know, compromising her. And what happened was he was thrown in prison. Now, you know, we get the opportunity of seeing things, you know, in a couple of chapters, and we get to read through this in a few minutes. But Joseph was in that prison for years, and yet he still had the dream that God put in his heart, okay? In the prison, he met the king's baker as well as his cupbearer, and they both had dreams. And Joseph had interpreted the dreams. You know, one guy was going to have his head separated from him, and the other one would be restored to his position. But Joseph told the one that was going to be restored to his position, remember me when you get to the king's house. So, you know, at that time, I'm sure Joseph was thinking, okay, he had hope. You know, this is a good thing. You know, I've got hope now. There's somebody, you know, that's there on the inside that can put in a good word for me. You know, let the king know that I can interpret dreams. You know, I could be out of here in no time. But yet he was there for another long period of time. But you see, God had a way of doing things because what had happened was the king had a dream that no one could interpret. See, God knew the steps, each step of the journey, because now all of a sudden the king's assistant was like, wait, when I was in the prison, there was a guy that was able to interpret dreams and he was able to interpret them accurately. And the king was like, okay, well, have him bought in. And Joseph was bought in. Now think about this. Now the king, you know, the king is troubled. So now having an interpreter of dreams is important. This guy is vile. He is important. I mean, think about it. Had Joseph been released from the prison earlier, you know, his ability to interpret dreams might not have been recognized. Might have been, might have laid to waste. He might not have become important. But yet God directed his steps. And what ended up happening, he told the Pharaoh about the famine and about saving. And the king was like, wow. So if you can tell me what's going to happen, we're going to put you in charge of it all. So Joseph ended up second in command. So his dream about his family bound before him suddenly changed to all of the known world because he was second to Pharaoh only. Joseph's authority was at that point limitless, but he went through those steps that God directed. And when you look at that, you look back and think, it's like, wow, what are the things that happen in my life? What things go on? You know, what has happened to me, you know, that appeared to be an unscheduled event? You know, it was recently I was praying to God about a wife. And the answer I got was, do you want to be distracted? Now, from, <laughs> all right, let me go there for a minute then. Because in, you know, in Corinthians, the seventh chapter, it tells us that the spouse pays attention to the needs and the happiness of their spouse. So it's not that they're distracted by the butterflies that are flying around. The distraction is pleasing the mate that God has given to them. 
So that distraction is a good distraction. But that certainly wasn't the dream that I had. You know, I mean, as a child, you know, I wanted a big family, 10 kids, you know, the whole nine yards. And yet, you know, when I prayed that prayer, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, if that's God's plan, because that's one of the things learned from Job. You know, Job understood that whatever God had for him, he would praise God for it. So, you know, what oftentimes, you know, sometimes when we get answers like that, it's really just to hone in our will. Okay, because remember, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. At the end of the day, Isaac wasn't sacrificed, but God knew that he had Abraham's will. So, again, there are things that happen to us that are not our plan, that are completely different than what our plan is. You know, sometimes God puts things that are 180 degrees from where we thought we would be. I mean, like, for example, you know, I never thought I would be own a construction company because, you know, my father did construction, so I was going to do something else. I never thought I would be preaching because my father preached, so I was going to do something else. And, you know, obviously things have changed. You know, I might have had a plan that went from here to here, but God has directed the steps. But, see, with Joseph, we see that his steps were directed and it wasn't like he did anything wrong. The hardships that he went through, you know, were brought upon him by others. I mean, first it was his brothers. Then they sold him into slavery. Then it was Potiphar's wife. Then I think it was the king's cupbearer that forgot him in prison. You know, all of these things that happened to Joseph, you know, were really the results from the wrongdoing of other people. But some of you might be like me. All right, we got another friend that we can talk about. That would be Samson. Okay, Samson had a bunch of trouble in his life too. But Samson brought it upon himself. You know, the first recorded words of Samson in the Bible was, I saw a woman. Now, oh, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> That could be taken a whole lot of ways. But basically what he went to say was that he saw a woman in Timna who was the daughter of one of the Philistines, and he wanted her to be a wife. And of course, you know, Samson was a miracle baby, okay? So his mother was like, wait, you know, we're not supposed to marry outside of, you know, the Jewish race. So he was like, wait. You know, so spiritually, he didn't see the connection. But, you know, we too, spiritually, should not be unequally yoked. So Samson was bringing trouble upon himself. And, you know, it's very interesting because um, Pastor Mike Girton on Sunday brought a very great example. He was talking about your phones. Now, when you look at your phone, you got those little things on the screen, those little icons. When you press an icon, you open up a whole program behind it. That's what sin is like. Once you sin, that actually blows up a whole program behind it that begins a series of events. And in Samson's life, like I said, he bought those things upon himself. Okay, 
But as we get to the end of Samson's life, we're going to recognize that God directed his steps and that there was God's mercy. Because, you see, even though it looked like Samson was betrayed by Delilah, what happened is when the Philistines captured Samson, the first thing that they did was gouge out his eyes and put him into captivity. Now, I want you to think about what was Samson's first recorded statement in the Bible? I saw a woman. What was always between Samson and God? What he saw with his eyes. Samson's eyes are what put him in trouble. Okay, and the first thing the enemy did was take away his eyes. And see, there's times that we lose things in life, and what do we do? We go back and try to get them. Okay, I mean, there's even Christian songs, you know, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Okay, and we think about that. Now, when David was in Ziklag, he prayed before he went after the enemy to get back his things. So unless you're praying to get back something, and unless God tells you to go get it, what the enemy took from you, let it go, because there's something in your life that God is creating and he's developing. <clears throat> now, one of the next events goes near the end of Samson's life. But now, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I, this has been turning for, you know, a week or two now and different things coming on. Another thing that um, Brother Mike brought up on Sunday was that when he gets to heaven, you know, he wants to meet David because, you know, his men said that his life was worth 10,000. Now, I'm probably not ready for heaven yet, all right? I want to meet Samson. I'm like, dude, this woman betrayed you three times. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> all right, because it's like, wait, I mean, you know, if it was me, there's a chapter in the Bible named Samson and Delilah. There wouldn't have been that chapter, all right? <laughs> Because, you know, Delilah said to Samson, you mocked me. You don't love me. His comeback was, you betrayed me. You wanted me dead. All I did was make you look silly. You would have made me look dead. I mean, so <laughs> there's a difference in the level of trust that's broken here. You know, one of us would die and the other one would just look silly. Okay. So, but... Have no fear, though, because just like when Brother Mike said that he wanted to meet David, you know, and the Holy Spirit said to him, well, what about Jesus? You know, same thing with me. The Lord was like, yeah, he might look at you and say, hey, look at that. You spent almost 40 years in the construction business for God to develop the character that he needed in you to give you blessings. Says, you talk about me, at least, you know, I did it a couple times. I was 20 years. You know, you spent 40. And I mean, do you think you're going to live 120 years like Moses did? Yeah, Moses went to the wilderness for 40 years, but he had 40 years left. <laughs> what do you got left? <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going there. But speaking of people of meet in heaven, 
The other one is Jonah. I mean, Jonah had to be tough as iron. I mean, think about this. And the first time I read this in Jonah, I think I read it three or four times. Do you realize that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days before he prayed? I'm like, dude, I would have been praying when they threw me out of the boat. (laughs) And you think about that. I mean, he did not want to go to Nineveh to deliver that word. Because one, one, the Ninevites were horrible people. But Jonah didn't want to go there. Okay. But in that, God had prepared a fish to take him there. So, you know, after he spent the three days in the fish, you know, that was actually long enough for the fish to get to the beach so he could spit him out. But still, it was three days before the dude prayed. It's like, dude, what were you thinking? I mean, come on. (laughs) So, but yeah, I'm not going to bring that up because like I said, the stuff that they got on me is probably worse. So, you know, I'm just going to leave that alone too. (laughs) But here is the one thing that Jonah had. Jonah knew the mercy of God. Do you remember what Jonah said? when he pitched his little camp on the hill and he went to watch and see God destroy Nineveh. So he went up on the hill to watch. All right. And when he was talking with God, he said, Lord, I knew you had mercy. And if those people repented, you would relent on the destruction. So Jonah knew the mercy of God. And, you know, even in that, you know, Jonah actually preached the greatest revival ever. And he might have done it reluctantly, but he still obeyed God. I mean, because think about this, too. Jonah's word was in 40 days, this city will be destroyed. We never hear anything about Jonah going back and saying in 39 days, this city will be destroyed or in 38 days, or in 35 days. Jonah basically preached one day. In 40 days, this city will be destroyed. And yet, there were over a half a million people that repented and turned from their wicked ways. You know, my prayer is actually that at some point in my life, my words could be used in a manner like that, to save, you know, a half a million people or more from going to hell. You know, Jonah was probably, that was the greatest revival sermon ever. You know, that over 500,000 people repented because Jonah knew, well, because Jonah was obedient to what God told him to do. But now we're going to go back to Samson because with Samson, there was also something that the Philistines missed. The Philistines never considered the mercy of God. They thought once they had Jonah captured and shaved and he lost his power, they didn't think it would ever come back. They missed that. But they didn't recognize that 
Jonah's hair had begun to grow back. And when Jonah asked the lad to bring him to the structural columns in the center of the arena, think about this now. Samson must have spent a lot of time in that arena. I'm in the construction business. So I understand, you know, when you study buildings, you know, you kind of got to take the whole thing in to understand the whole structure. So Joan, I mean, Samson, sorry, keep calling him Jonah because, you know, switching back and forth. But Samson knew where the structural columns were in that arena. And he asked the boy or the lad that was with him to bring him to those columns. Now, Samson also knew the mercy of God. Why? Because it wasn't until Samson was at those columns that he prayed to God for his strength to be restored and that for him to die with the Philistines. One that takes a lot of faith, but it also took fellowship and knowing God. So just like Jonah, Samson knew the mercy of God. Samson knew that if he was brought to that place, that God would restore him and save him because he knew the fellowship with God. Even though he had spent all that time with the Philistines, he still knew the mercy of God. And see, that reminds me of a man that I know. He grew up in a Christian home. Mother and father, you know, were married the whole time. Um, he had, you know, brothers and sisters. There were Bible studies in the house. They went to church. You know, they did all those things that you would think that, wow, this person should never fall. But yet they got tied up in, you know, a drug addiction and drug abuse and different things like that and had fallen down. But yet, because of their foundation, they knew the mercy of God. And when they got on their knees and prayed, God restored to them all that they had. And that's what we need to understand, that there is God's mercy. So, you know, we might not be like Joseph. All the problems that we have, we might have created our own problems. But yet, because of God's mercy we can be redeemed from those problems. Amen. And that's one thing that those who are not saved don't have. And, you know, speaking of that, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus, please disregard everything that I've previously said. <laughs> because that's not at your time yet. Where you are is where God spoke in Jeremiah, where he said, with loving, with ever loving kindness, I have drawn you in. And you see, you're at the point, if you don't know Jesus, where God is drawing you in. God has drawn you in for this time so that you could come to know him because it's God's mercy. God doesn't want anybody to suffer for eternity. 
Okay, so he's giving you a plan. Okay, so even if you don't enjoy the same benefits of knowing that all things work together for your good, you understand this, that God is drawing you in with his everlasting love and kindness so that you will come to know that salvation so that you can have that salvation both here and now and for eternity. You know, just in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, the chapter that we covered in the loft was, ye must be born again. And, you know, to enjoy that fellowship, to know that everything that happens to you is for your good, you need to know Jesus. So it's important to know him and to understand and to understand where you are in your walk. Like I said, if you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. Matter of fact, there's no better time than tonight. Is there anybody here that doesn't know Jesus? All right. Looks good then because here's your opportunity to change things. Because you could enjoy the same mercy. Actually, since nobody here is lost, then we know that the mercy of God is with us. Just like with Joseph, just like with Jonah, and just like with Samson. Okay? Joseph... The things that happened in Joseph's life were brought upon him by others. But yet God worked out all those things to get him to his journey. Jonah, Jonah went the opposite direction. God told him to go to Nineveh, which was, you know, heading um, east. And Jonah got on the ship to go to Tarshish, which was heading west, going the exact opposite direction. But but yet God, through his mercy, had intervened. And then we have Samson. We have Samson who time after time after time again pushed on that icon. And the program that was started of those sins, okay, was opened up. So we know that no matter what condition we are in, no matter whether we're an innocent victim or whether we're a guilty victim, that God is working out the things for our good. And that's what we should know because James tells us to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations because the trials of our faith works patience. And after patience has had its perfect work, our character is built. So, that's where we need to be, and we need to understand that. And I think that's all I have. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Maybe you're going through life and you feel like you've been on detours or some events that have touched your life were couldn't be from God, but the truth is, Julius remind us tonight that our steps are ordered and everything that we deal with and every event that touches our world has passed through the hands of God. And sometimes we have a hard time accepting or understanding that, but there should be a great comfort in the fact that nothing can touch us without passing through the Father's hands first. 
So if you're struggling with things or you're confused about what you're going through or the season that you're in or if things didn't turn out the way you thought they would, I want to encourage you tonight. God is in control. He's ordering your steps. He has a perfect plan that leads from this life into the next as you fall into his arms. So, Father, tonight I pray for all my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that each of us would embrace the path that you have preordained for us. And, Father, even though our actions sometimes make things more difficult and create detours, even those detours you saw in your omniscience, you knew them, and you've planned to pick us up, to dust us off, and to get us across the finish line. So encourage each heart tonight, Lord. Give us clarity in what we go through and help us to accept the fact that you have ordered our steps and to find peace in that in everything we face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise.